The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Great to have everybody with us tonight as we kick off a Tuesday night program. We'll be talking about dreams tonight with Craig Sim Webb. He's an author, an artist, and a researcher. We'll be talking about lucid and applied dreaming, precognitive and telepathic dreams. He'll also be talking about his new book, which is a very, very fascinating book. It's called The Dreams Behind the Music. Did you know, and you probably did, you probably have a, a, an artist that you follow or like, and I, when I say artist, I mean musical artist, who talked about a, a song, a hit song maybe, coming to them in a dream. I know it happened to Paul McCartney. I know it happened to others. And those stories are quite fascinating. Why do these inspirations come to us while we're sleeping? And then they, you know, somebody will wake up in the middle of the night and have to write it down because if, you know, as many of us understand, that if you don't make notes of your dreams uh, as quickly as you can, you're likely to forget them. That's another phenomenon that's very curious about dreams. But anyway, we're going to be talking about musical artists and the songs that they have written and recorded and been successful with that have been inspired by dreams. It's going to be a really interesting conversation because we've talked about dreams before. We've talked about music before, but now we get to bring the two together. That's kind of cool, especially when we're talking about pop music. Um, another thing I, I want to mention, I got this book. You know, we get a lot of stuff here. Slick is always putting stuff in front of me to say, hey, you want to, you want to get this guest on? Uh, we got this book. It's called um, Forbidden Fruits, uh, an occult novel which uh, looks pretty cool. I haven't really had a chance to take a look at it, but I'm afraid to actually have the uh, authors of this book on the program just because I'm going to end up having to pronounce that name. <laughs> now, fortunately, I, I have an Italian ancestry, so it's not uh, impossible for me, but uh, it's a mouthful nonetheless. And if, if you're uh, listening to the program and not looking at the video stream, the name is Guido Mina di Sospiro. Uh I can see myself getting all sorts of tongue-tied on that one. But anyway, uh, I'll have to take a look at this and see if it's something we want to talk about on the show. We don't normally do fiction on the program. Uh, but every once in a while, somebody has a work of fiction that's inspired by something that we do talk about that makes sense. So we like to, uh, we do engage in those conversations. Uh, I do need you to go to Twitch if you have ex uh, participated with our program on the Twitch channel, which, as you know, we do air the weekday program there, but it's really, the Twitch channel really gets lively when we do our weekend stuff there because that's less YouTube appropriate, more Twitch appropriate. And if you've had a subscription in the past, go back and renew it for us, please. Now, I don't ask you to spend money if you don't have to. What I'm asking you to do is if you have an Amazon Prime account, just link the Amazon Prime account to the Twitch channel and that you'll get the subscription and it won't cost you anything. There's no fee that way because Twitch and Amazon Prime are connected. So again, go to Twitch and do that. And if you haven't found our YouTube channel yet, please look for it as well. Just search for JV Johnson, subscribe there. Um, as you know, we suffered a bit of a shadow ban situation not long ago, and we're still recovering from that. It's unbelievable. I mean, some of this stuff is just crazy. We've talked about it here. And then uh, finally, I'll ask you to uh, follow us on social media, even though I think our social media days are going to be evolving a little bit. We might be doing something different. So uh, do I have anything else? Oh, um, another thing that I want to warn you about, the, the bumper songs we talk uh, that we'll be playing tonight, starting with going into this break here, they're going to be... Uh, part of our conversation with Craig Webb tonight. 
Uh, I believe, and he'll explain it to us when he comes on, but I believe these pieces of music were inspired by dreams. And I think of his. Um, I'm, I don't have a complete clarification of that. But we're going to use these uh, songs as they're brief, they're little clips. We're going to use them as bumpers and um, in and out of the breaks. And, and then we'll have Craig talk about them when he's on, uh, which we'll we'll get to right away here. We'll go to break and we'll bring him on. Again, our guest tonight, Craig Sim Webb. He is an author an artist, and a researcher. And tonight we'll be talking about lucid and applied dreaming, precognitive, and telepathic dreams. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. Of course, I'm your host, JV, and you just heard one of the uh, dream-inspired pieces of music we'll be playing as bumpers throughout the night with our guest tonight. Craig Sim Webb is joining us now. Craig is a dream analyst. He's an author. He's a researcher. He's also a widely traveled speaker and a musical artist who's done pioneering lucid dream research at Stanford and designed peak performance devices distributed worldwide. His book, The Dreams Behind the Music, reveals little-known dreams that inspired tremendous success for over 100 famous artists and highlights principles and techniques that anyone can use to harvest their own dreams for significant breakthroughs. Craig, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's a real honor to have you with us tonight. Oh, great. Well, I appreciate being able to share some of the these gifts and things that life has blessed me with. It's always an honor. Yeah, well, you know, we're excited to have this conversation. We've talked about dreams before. Um, we've talked about music before. Seldom have we brought the two together. But I really like this idea of dreams actually being a source of inspiration and creativity. I mean, we all know there can be weird you know, and sometimes scary, but inspiration and creativity. That's kind of a neat combination here when we bring dreams into the picture. Oh, nice. Well, uh, let's say the, the wellspring of all our new, fresh ideas coming from the source of our deeper soul, our deeper wisdom, our subconscious, whatever language works for you. But it's natural that creativity is one of the benefits because it comes up with new ideas often. I guess with the music, it's not usually associated with dreams so much. Because when someone uses that word, they think visual storyline, right, right. you know, or maybe nightmare or something like that. Uh, but here's an interesting. There's so many angles we could we could talk about. Here's an interesting thing. Most people don't realize that Thomas Edison, who was pretty instrumental in bringing out the movie projector and the, yep. it was called the kinetoscope back then, etc. But he actually encouraged. He himself often did and encouraged his employees to take little mini naps. Uh, sort of had little dreamlets during work, like at the office. He would go into his cupboard in his office 
<laughs> because he said, you know, it's really important to actually get the subconscious info that is the light bulb kind of breakthrough, you know, Edison's light bulb, that's going to change it because otherwise you're just stuck in the mental. So here it is. He's the guy who kind of dreamt up the movie projector, or at least helped really polish it. And yet uh, movies have soundtracks. So at the time, they, they started linking up the sound to the movies, and maybe that's what we're doing with uh, like the music and the dreams here. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, obviously also uh, uh, instrumental in the phonograph, too, and that and the ability to record music uh, at right. all. So that's kind of cool. Let's back up for a second. I'm going to back up and go forward all at the same time here because I want you to tell us what we heard coming out of the break, the bumper song, because we're going to play a few of these throughout the course of the night just so people understand what we're listening to. Okay, yeah, great. And they each kind of have an interesting story. So these are direct from dream downloads. Not sure if download's the right word, but I kind of use it loosely. Uh, that I got, I kind of woke up as clearly as I could, reproduced uh, the sound, the music, the clip. Sometimes it's the special effects uh, that I did. In this case, the sound is very African, you know, umbapio. Right. And sort of uh, something that's pretty different from the kind of music I'd done before that, but I, I take what's given. It turned out it was pretty interesting timing because just at that time I was about to interview Joseph Shabalala for uh, for the Dreams Behind the Music, my book all about this stuff. And uh, many people might not know the name, but he was, uh, I guess, the core force behind Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, that uh, they worked with Paul Simon on Graceland and everything. Uh, and he's an African shaman, and his father was a traditional shaman, like with medicine and the plants and you name it. And he says, yes, I'm a shaman also, but the, the music is my medicine. And he would dream like arrangements. He dreamed to do the dances. And uh, basically, uh, he got about a dozen guys who went worldwide and won many Grammys later because of his dreams. So I think it's connected with that because that was a week later. And then I found out uh, all kinds of other connections. Umbaba is a, uh, the name of an interesting African god from legend who lives in the mountains of the moon. Uh, and I found that out because I dreamt of riding on this big uh, sort of dragon and the big lizard people in this kind of strange copper city. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a new one. This was like maybe about a few days after. And then one of my students, because I lead teleclasses, says, and I hadn't said any, I hadn't shared the dream yet, uh, writes on the kind of communal group for the class. He goes, that's really weird. I saw Craig riding a dragon uh, in this strange city with reptile people and copper mountains and copper buildings and things. Not sure what that's about. I said, hey, wow. maybe we went to the same place. So the Mountains of the Moon, it turns out, is a place with reptilian people and copper statues where Umbaba lives, right out of my song there. So it, it, it's, it's pretty kind amazing. Of a strange weaving of hints. Yeah, help us understand the process here. So you have a dream, you hear these melodies or words, or whatever it happens to be, in your dream. Um, and you wake up, uh, and you just have to you have to find it on a keyboard or whatever it is, and get it down before you forget it. Is that how it works? Yeah, definitely. And it's pretty close to that. I would say uh, this is actual research that the the sound, the music lasts somewhat longer than the normal visuals in the dream, at least for most of the people I've interviewed and, and worked with. So it's interesting how you know the, we sometimes call it a little brain worm when a song gets stuck in your mind. Yeah. From mm -hmm. Somebody sang it at breakfast or whatever. Uh, that seems to last a little longer, so for me it's pretty clear. It's uh, it's actually changed in the last year because I really started doing it intensely. Uh, a little shout-out to the Canada Council for the Arts because I got a grant to do uh, Dream-Inspired Music. Oh, nice. That you heard there. And uh, I've started shifting. I'm not quite sure. How, we have to use English words here and sort of 
human words, but I, in those words, I would say I shifted from hearing it and recording, usually with a voice recorder first and then maybe on a keyboard, to now I just kind of know the music. I know that's a weird use of that word, but I don't necessarily hear it in the way that I would hear us talking. I just kind of know it, and then I can mm-hmm. sing it or write it. It's a kind of new sensory input on the inside. I'm not quite sure what it is. Now, at the, at the risk of uh, people kind of uh, looking at me or thinking about me a little askew, I'm not a Me Too kind of guy, but I have to admit something. I I actually uh, am a musician. I've written a lot of music, recorded a lot of my own music. Oh, nothing, nothing that's commercial, but just stuff for my own personal satisfaction. And I yeah. actually have had uh, songs come to me in dreams. This is not not an unusual occurrence. No, it's super common, and I'm glad that uh, you brought it up. By the way, sometimes those nuggets are just really kind of for our lives. Mm-hmm. Intuition and music are very closely tied together. Uh, you know, sights or visuals is more tied with knowing, intellect, mind, but the intuition and kind of that gut feeling is tied with music. So you might have an extra hunch there, but the, usually the lyrics or the actual melodies going through the your mind or when you wake up, that's got a pretty strong kind of guidance aspect. So I would check even the lyrics or sometimes like here's the, here's an example of how you might use these dreams even if you don't share them too publicly. Uh, the shamans, uh, the Tuvan shamans sort of around Russia and, and some of the areas, Mongolia and stuff, they would actually dream a, a little melody, not every one of them, but this is more common there. And uh, when their client, their patient, their, I guess, on older days, tribe member comes to them for help that day, They'll just have them sing the song. They'll sing it for them, and they'll have them sing that song all day as their therapy, as their transformation. And these amazing things will happen. So who knows exactly what's in the melody, but it's got some inner math or inner feelings that kind of transmit between people. So the rock and roll shamans of the West, maybe over 100 of them, I wrote up in my book, but they kind of do the same thing, channel inside info and bring it out to the public. You know, Paul McCartney... uh, Ding and some of the other rock and roll shamans of the West here. Yeah, are they self-proclaimed shaman? I've never heard Paul McCartney say he was a shaman, or is that something? Is that a no, title you've I'm given? Using the, okay. little, little <laughs> I was just Sting curious. Says, uh, he says, I would just say, uh, Sting says that, uh, first off, he says, any artist who doesn't use dreams as part of their creative process is ignoring half their potential. Wow. Wow, that's but powerful. He says, uh, it's the sh- that's pretty big. That's yeah. pretty big. And yeah. he use, he's calls it the shamanic art of songwriting. So he gets into in-between liminal states and really channels stuff more than just thinks about it. You know? He's a really he's he's a very spiritual guy, from what I can t- gather. I mean, I don't know him, but uh, he seems to really have a, a, a connection to his spiritual self. Well, so we are spirits in a material world. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, too. yeah. Great song, by the way. Yeah, and synchronicity and yep. you know, the whole album and everything. Yeah, he's pretty connected, but uh, you know, he keeps uh, the language pop, mass culture. He's pretty sharp. Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's look at you a little bit here. Uh, what came first, and why? Your interest in dreams, or y- your interest in music? Uh, probably together. I can't really answer since I've been dreaming all my life, and I've loved music and sang and hummed all the time as a little kid. So. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure they're so separate. Just like the the soundtrack on a movie wouldn't be separate. It's just that we might not tune into it. I'll just add for anybody out there. Uh, because you mentioned you dream these. It's actually uh, surprisingly available. Uh, eight out of nine students on, the, I think, the first week that I invited them to try this, or six out of seven, sorry. Six out of seven students on the first week, I just tried, hey, you know, let's see if you can dream music. Ever dream music? No. And I think one of them said a few years ago, but certainly not regularly. Most of them never. They all had it on the first couple nights. 
uh, except for one who had it a week later. So seven out of seven. From a researcher point of view, that's a ridiculous number, 100%. Uh, granted, these are people who study dreams and interest in dreams, but other people who've tried seem to be just almost there for the asking. So wow. it is very available. So for maybe for me, I just kind of tuned into both together. I like the music. I like the dreams. I was open that it was possible. Uh, but then I started getting interested in, oh, what's the effect when I take this? You know, because I was applying other dreams in my life, which mm-hmm. was some different applications. But I thought, what's the effect when I take this inside sound inside music, sometimes like special effects. I've had these very strange reverb dreams we can talk about, but it's not just sounds, it's, uh, it's actually like a special effect. What's the effect in the world when I bring it out there? Because some of these uh, artists, let's say McCartney, the Beatles' two biggest hits, came from dreams pretty directly. So it seems to have a mass appeal, or maybe it serves the masses or many people in a special way, or maybe serves one or two people very deeply. So I thought there could be some alchemy in there, and that's one of the reasons I got more interest. Um, as a dream analyst, though, um, that takes uh, real focus to decide that you're really going to take a look at it at that level, and then ultimately writing about it. So um, you took a professional interest in it, in it um, a bit at some point. How did that happen? Uh, yeah, well, uh, exploring it personally, I've been a musical artist for, I think, I think since about age 20, I'm on in a pretty strong way since I picked up my guitar. But, uh, I don't know, maybe the music just coming by itself gave a nudge. Let me try to think. That's a good question. What really got me to focus professionally? Oh, actually, I would say probably the music nudging, sort of like these little seeds or, let's say, children tugging at you. I want to come alive, Daddy, you know. And so it's got that creative push in there, the birthing pains. But I would say I made a pretty conscious choice sort of near the start of my professional career, I guess when I was going more public. I'd, I'd done the research at Stanford in the lucid dreaming where we kind of brought to the world of, hey, it's possible to be conscious during a dream and you can do stuff. And then I came back to Canada and I was kind of saying, hey, what can I do with all this knowledge? And Maybe it was just a fun little adventure or should I do it? And then I sort of asked dreams, let's say a, maybe a bit of a vision quest or a dream quest. I really asked strongly, and uh, I had this powerful dream where I saw myself touring and speaking a lot in high schools, different events, and sometimes on the media. So you're actually helping me here today with my my life mission, my calling. And then uh, the second part of the dream was sharing, singing, super beautiful, and hearing super beautiful music. Uh, Perhaps some of the same inner... I don't know, wisdom or knowledge from the deeper source came through, but more in an artistic way. So I think those two aspects called me to later shift from just uh, leading dream conferences and teaching and sort of the mental into the artist, uh, what I now call a hardest. (laughs) Just uh, shift gears a little. Craig, I love asking this question of people that uh, make it part of their mission to study dreams and understand dreams and help other people understand dreams. And it seems to be a very basic question, but the answers we get are varied. And the question is this, what are dreams? I mean, if we boil it down, what are they? Well, different people use that phrase or the word, I guess, different ways. So it's actually pretty tough to have some final decision. I think most people generally use it as a non-physical experience, but even that's a stretch. <laughs> uh, often people mean the, the things that happen at night. Some people use the word dreams to refer to their life goals, their wishes for their life. Uh, those two are actually strongly connected because the, the dreams that we have for our life usually come from our inner, intu- our subconscious, our intuition, from our nighttime dreams. So they are connected, but it's a slight different usage of the word. 
a little more traditionally, we usually refer to it as a visual experience. And if you research it, more often than not, those are described or shown in the, the actual REM cycles during sleep. So the visual, the visual parts of the dreams where our eyes, uh, sleep cycle where our eyes are moving around, mm-hmm. REM, rapid eye movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, let's say experience that happens outside of physical senses, at least partly. And then uh, you, if that's at night, we wake up, we recall it as a dream. Some people have daydreams, some people have deja vus, various variations on what they might call a dream. So, sorry to be a little bit uh, too open on you or maybe uh, have opened up more can of worms than it closes, but at least uh, <laughs> gives a little picture. Yeah, well, it's, it's not, it wasn't unexpected. It's a very, very difficult term to nail down. And as you said, so many people view it differently. What is the connection between, you know, the physiological dreaming, the thing that we do when we are in uh, rapid eye movement during sleep uh, each night or during the, whatever, whenever we happen to be sleeping, what is it that connects yeah. that with the popular and, and, and what would be, what seems to be a cultural reference to dreams as being goals and aspirations? and things we shoot for. We know that dreams themselves, the, the things that we see in our mind while we're sleeping, aren't always uh, comfortable. They aren't always inspirational and sometimes they're downright scary. Right. What's that connection? Well, uh, 50% of our uh, listeners within the last month has had a nightmare. At least statistics show that. Mm-hmm. And some a smaller portion of people have a few a week and really upsetting ones. They might call it more than a nightmare, you know. So these are require some empathy, some listening, some space for people who have some challenges and experiences. I just want to offer that out there a little bit first, so I don't just talk intellectually. But uh, I would say uh, the link, if I was going to make it, I often speak about this, is that uh, dreams are kind of freer from time. That sounds like a weird answer. But if you think about it, that at night we have our physical senses turned off, Mostly, you know, our eyes are closed, uh, we're not moving, our touch sense is kind of closed. Uh, usually we're not eating anything, so that's taste and, and the mouth off. So we're freer from physical senses means we have more flexibility in time. And in uh, our dreams for our life, there's something in the future, usually sort of a calling, a vision, uh, something we really have a longing for, our, our dreams that we hold, our wishes. And they're really strongly linked, especially if we have uh, like a native... American or native from different indigenous cultures might go on a vision quest or a dream quest, or uh, I made up a new word here, the, the Celts of, the, I guess, the northern UK, they will go on a song quest. They knew right away that the interesting stuff was in the music, so they said, okay, the dreams are cool, but let's go on a song quest and get your true tone and your true melody for the rest of your, your, your life. But when we get that inside info or maybe a vision, for me, I, I shared before that I had this dream where I saw myself teaching around the world, speaking on the media, and later sharing more music. Uh, it's kind of like a website on the inner net, sort of like the internet, but inside us in mm-hmm. dreams. And we click on it, we look at it, that's kind of cool, but it's not, you know, we haven't ordered it yet. We haven't, like, put in the time and commitment to bring that true in life. And if we do, uh, we get a really rich feeling. Our calling or, or maybe our mission, our legacy comes true, and we live it as our profession, maybe our hobby. And I think that's the link. It's uh, something that we could bring true. Most dreams offer that. And let's say uh, we have an idea for a song, you know, simple as that. A Paul McCartney dreams up, you know, scrambled eggs. Oh, my baby, how I love your legs. <laughs> Those were the original lyrics for yesterday. And he said, I, I came out of bed with that, and I, I searched on the piano for the chords. And 
you know, one thing led to another, and we got this number one hit. But uh, it was so different. All the Beatles didn't want to do it. They said, Paul, that's weird. That's sentimental. That's not us. That's not baby want to drive my car kind of stuff. So you just do it, and if it works, then it can be a Beatles song. So dreams have the alchemical sort of power, and in this case, it transformed uh, their sound a little bit. But he more or less just acted on a little dream of the night, and it became a dream and a calling and maybe a shift in the sound for Beatles, because after that, they added orchestra and right. had a lot more ballads and things. So I think the link is across time, we'll see that one is sort of a seed or a link or a, a little product sample for something that you could live out in 3D over time. Uh, it, it's interesting, as a Beatles fan, um, there is a, a cut on one of the anthology collections of a live performance of Yesterday, and I think it was the first time they performed it live. And I think it was George Harrison doing the introduction for Paul McCartney. He says, we're going to try something that we've never tried before. For Paul McCartney, uh, this is your chance to be a star, or something like that. And Paul does the song solo. Um, so you can see there's that, that hint of what you said. The Beatles were a little unsure about making that a Beatles song, but they did and obviously the rest is history. It was a very successful song, and I think it's one of the most covered uh, songs of all time, isn't it? Yeah, the most covered, over 2,000 cover versions, which wow. means it had, that's kind of what got me into it. It's got some pretty interesting alchemy. Don't forget, it's a little bit the intention of the musician, but the Beatles were into originally inspired by Elvis, and they wanted yeah. to be the next big hit and thing, so... Operating in the background is kind of a mental, maybe emotional, and maybe even call, soul calling, deep subconscious software for Paul. I'd love to get the biggest hit out there and go huge with it. <laughs> and so he channels and tunes into the next big hit and let it be. You know, another huge Beatle hit came the exact same way. Yeah, yeah. And let it be. The and doesn't he Mother sing... Mary speaking words of wisdom right. was uh, Mother Mary saying, "Hey, Paul, let it be." Yeah, I mean, the, the, are the, having the, a tough time now. Just take it easy. The line is, "Mother Mary comes to me." Is he saying that she came to him in the dream? Exactly. Yeah. And Mother Mary isn't necessarily the Virgin, although right. creatively, artistically, you can certainly interpret what you want. It's his Mother Mary who died seven years before. Right, that's right. Um, you know, as we talk about this stuff and as we kind of get into the weeds a little bit here, we have to make sure we understand another part of dreaming, and it's when we add this word lucid to the conversation. What's lucid dreaming? Yeah, well, I make the joke that uh, it helps when you keep a loose id. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not too identified with any self and you have a little more presence, you know, your id, your ego is not so much in there and you kind of have a freer witness awareness, you can start to recognize that you're dreaming while dreaming. That's kind of the official definition. And it's not really an on or off thing. There's like beginning lucidity, often flying dreams or skating or sledding or sliding or that kind of thing where there's no friction with the earth. That's a pretty good hint that we're moving up the, the needle the needle starting to rev on the RPM needle of lucidity, and then we start to recognize that it's officially a dream, but we forget what we wanted to do, or we get lost in the dream again, and and then more and more lucid, like really becoming very present with our waking mind in the dream. Uh, we can do very cool experiments, get uh, songs, get creative insight, get uh, answers to questions, lots of really good benefits. In fact, all the benefits that dreams can offer, like practical waking benefits, I'd say 90, 95% are amplified really well in lucid dreams. So there's something worth going after there. Do creation-inspiring dreams either require you to be lucid dreaming, or are they more um, common during lucid dreaming episodes? I wouldn't say no. They're, they're sort of mutually non-exclusive. You could have either. You could have both. 
perhaps you have uh, depends on the the dreamer. You have a little more chance if you're if that's your intention. Let's say you're an artist and you you're. Uh, I'm just trying to remember his name right now. I can't get it. But he did bang the drum all day. Yeah, Todd Rundgren. Uh, Todd, yep. uh, Todd, Todd Rundgren. Rundgren. Yep. A little less known these days, but he'll have pretty often have lucid dreams where he goes in and works in the music studio and actually gets the song consciously. So if you're intending it and going in there and in your dreams, you ask or you go in the studio, it's quite like you'll get a creation or you'll, there's artists who do that. They look on the wall of their dream for their next inspiration. But otherwise you could have lucidity or you could have super powerful creative inspiration. Um, you could have neither and still have amazing dreams that uh, you can act on in your life. But they, I don't think they're, they're tied together necessarily. What happens in a dream that inspires or um, actually creates, a, 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 whether it's a song or, or a, a fil- you know, film idea, maybe it's a, 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 a painting that's inspired by a dream. Is there something different going on in the dreaming process that brings that creativity to the forefront? Or is it just the same as any dream just happens to be creative? Yeah, well, I suppose it depends on who, who gets the dream and what they do with it. Most people will dream for about things that they can act on. For uh, example, if I'm a Paul McCartney, I'll probably get song inspiration. Right. Uh, if I'm a James Cameron, uh, the director, pretty well-known director here, uh, Titanic and others, yep. I'm probably going to get ideas for movies. I actually uh, met and interviewed James by following my own dreams. Oh, wow. And he said, yeah, actually my idea for Terminator came from a nightmare, actually, a really upsetting kind of... Uh, sort of half feverish dream, and I saw this chrome skeletal figure rising out of a fire, and felt like sheer terror more than more than just the image should have by itself. But I woke up and said, "Wow, this touched me this way. Maybe I should do a movie on it." And that was his big breakout movie, Terminator. And the same thing for Avatar. His mom dreamt, actually, his mother did, of tall blue warrior people in an alien landscape. And then he had a vision dream of these really beautiful, bioluminescent, glowing forests rivers, animals, and put two and two together, and we got Avatar, the number one selling movie of all time up until, I guess, the recent Avengers. Uh, so something pretty huge from the collective unconscious, I think, calls through the, the artist and then comes out if they choose to act on it, and in this case, devote many, many hours, uh, and brings it to the public. It doesn't have to be that big to be a great creation. Right. For example, Gandhi had a simple dream uh, and uh, probably was really inspired by his mother's good values and, and parents' good values. And he had a dream that, over 30 years, reenacted many times, actually freed India from British rule in a peaceful way. You know, he dreamt, uh, if we have a hunger strike, that could be a way. We call it hartal. Uh, we can have a way to sort of resist without, like, you know, hurting anybody, and eventually they'll be our friends and they'll leave us friends. So there's an interesting dream that was kind of a little private thing that he then shared, and people said, yeah, okay, we'll do it more and more, and he did a hunger strike, and 30 years later, it turned into a free India. We um, are intentionally avoiding talking about this next topic because just we've talked about it, and we've, we're all trying to escape it a little bit, but I do have to ask. We're you know going through an, uh, an absolutely horrific time um, around the world, not just here in the United States or North America, uh, with this pandemic. Sure. When something like that happens, whether it's locally or globally, but it's, it, it's a source of angst, stress, worry, and all these negative emotions, how does that affect dreaming? Uh, well, I would say it's not necessarily negative emotions for everybody. Uh, 
there's different reactions and, I guess, interpretations and things that people choose. Obviously, there's a lot of needs unmet, and some people are very challenged. I don't want to not have empathy at all, and, and some families are in very tough situations, losing loved ones and and many other tough, tough scenarios, so a big a big shout-out and a lot of appreciation for tough scenarios. But uh, if we go a little bit more into the symbolism, I call this lucid living. sort of made up this phrase to describe a, a way of looking at life a little differently, symbolically, let's say. What's the same thing? Uh, this, this might be one of the reasons why the pandemic or, let's say, our great challenging teacher of these little microbes, coronavirus, why it might have come to the world. What's the symbolism of the waking event? Well, it's something we can't see. It comes out when we talk or breathe or maybe sing, uh, but we don't really know that it came out. We're not sure if we have it, and we're not sure what it could affect people. Sometimes we're asymptomatic. We have no idea that it even came out, and later we, we might find out in, like, weeks or months. So it sort of shows uh, that probably we have, as, as people in the world, we have judgments, we have beliefs, we have inner, let's say, mental, emotional viruses that can come out when we speak and talk, such as what's behind the Black Lives Matter movement or some of the other big shifts we've seen during the pandemic, because now it's becoming conscious. Now it's coming out. We're realizing, I have to consider the other people, even with simple actions. And I know I'm innocent, but I have to consider other people because sometimes I've taken in something that might not serve others, and I want to start weeding out and cleaning out and healing first. I think that's one of the reasons. There's usually some pretty big inner reasons, but that's probably one of them. One of the things people struggle with is they their dreams uh, are fleeting. You know, when they wake up, they forget them. I know personally it happens to me. I wake up, and if I don't make some real effort to try to remember my dream, regardless of how significant that dream is, I'll forget it rather rapidly. Why does that happen, A, and B? What can people do to maybe capture that dream a little better? Yeah, well, uh, first off, the why, I guess. I don't know if I have all the answers. Everybody might have a little bit of their own answer to that. It's nothing we can exactly prove. But it's a different part of the brain that's usually activated. Some of the, let's say, memories aren't exactly our normal waking memory. It's certainly uh, not the physical perceptions, in most cases, anyways, that are being operating, so some kind of inner perception. So it comes into a little bit different part of the brain, and then when we actively remember or try to, reel it in, let's say, in the morning. That's uh, sort of shifting uh, from the cache memory on a computer into the hard drive or something, and we have it more solidly locked in. So that might be an analogy that helps a little bit. But let's just say it comes from uh, through non-traditional channels, so we have to kind of translate a little bit into more waking language of memories and then words and then whatever actions we take on it. That's the why. And then how. Uh, we could base a little bit of our how on the why. You know, it's coming through non-physical sensory channels. Obviously, the experience is while we're sleeping with most of our senses turned off, mostly turned off. So if we want to help that process work, just turn down our physical senses when we wake up as much as possible. Example, try not to open our eyes uh, because the visual can really throw off a dream quickly. If we forget, then just close them. Uh, another one is our sense of sort of balance, touch, movement. If we uh, woke up and rolled over or moved, then uh, just try to go back to the exact same position you woke up in. That makes a big difference. Or ideally, don't move when you wake up if you're aware as you sort of gently wake. And the same thing, try not to wake up to an alarm clock and then our ears aren't kind of blowing us into a different consciousness state. By the way, you can set a body clock for the exact time you need to wake up and then maybe the alarm clock 10 minutes later 
You ever tried that, setting a body clock at 7.02 a.m.? I have this uncanny ability to uh, to know what time I want to wake up and wake up at that time. I don't know why. Um, exactly. But I do have that that ability, and sometimes it's rather annoying. <laughs> uh, well, you might be surprised. We can put it out there to the polls. Maybe we'll get some colors, but that's actually super common. People haven't really talked about it, but the body clock, I mean, whatever you want to call it, the su- suggestion to the subconscious, I mean, try it if you don't, if you want to, don't take my word for it, try it at 7.02 a.m. I want to wake up, you'll see it's like 7.02 a.m. And you have five or ten minutes to reel in your dreams before you have to get up and go to work or whatever. So that's one way you can help a little bit. And then there's other tips. Uh, some of them are in the book there and some of them uh, we teach in classes. Some are longer, but mostly, uh, and this is unobvious, and I'm glad to give it out because I love when people connect with their dreams and, and act on them especially. Uh, then it brings their gifts to our greater world here, and our world needs everybody's gifts here big time. So if people uh, are willing to accept it, I'll offer you a little seed. I call it a seed, but it's just a belief, an idea, and that is that it's really natural and easy to recall and remember dreams. And if you like, you can add on and have music come too. And that suggestion starts to operate, maybe not the first night, a few, a few nights in a row, not like 50 nights because then we, we, we think that it's a hard thing. But a few nights in a row, it's simple, natural, easy to remember and recall dreams and maybe even know what they want, you know, know what actions that they're encouraging me to take. And then you'd be surprised. You start having this, I, I see students have a little channel. It's kind of like a narrator. It starts telling what the dream means. It comes in clearly, and then they can act on it more and more easily. It's, it's kind of software that turns into actual experience. Uh the idea of being creative during the dreaming process, your mind just taking over and, and, and actually creating something uh, that you didn't set out to create necessarily um, is, is pretty amazing. It, it, through your work and your research into this, Craig, have you discovered any techniques that people can use to actually uh, maybe increase the chances of something like that happening? Maybe inspire before the dream so that the dream takes over and creates? Yeah, that's a good one. I think most people will agree, or maybe you've had this too there, JB. That if you're working on some problem late at night, you don't even have to do anything too advanced. You just sleep on it and you get... Yeah. Sometimes you recognize you had the dream, but usually you get the answer or clarity in the morning, right? Or the next day sometimes. Right. So that's pretty much the same process. That would, uh, in kind of the categories, and they overlap and they're not exactly all perfect. Sort of like the colors of the rainbow. But uh, you would say that's more in the problem-solving category. We were really focused on something. But let's say we're listening to our favorite artist, uh, if it's music, or you're watching a movie by somebody you really love and you're a screenwriter, or you're a painter and you start looking at some of your favorite paintings, or even if you just start to review some of your own previous art that you really love, whatever type of art, dance, who knows, you know, start dancing a little bit in the evening hours. Uh, most likely your subconscious takes the cue and says, oh, you want some more of that? You like that? Does it bring joy? Okay, we can do that. <laughs> it's kind of like doing a Google search or an Internet search for the, the next greatest thing of our life. You know, Preview, this is coming to a waking theater near you if you choose to act on it and bring this gift to the world through your artistic practice. <laughs> your book, The Dreams Behind the Music, uh, what was the inspiration to write that? And if you tell me it came to you in a dream, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to laugh or cry. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a nightmare if I say it one more time. Uh, let's see. 
I think that was kind of the baby birth urging, calling, calling. I had plenty of dreams that helped me with the book. I don't know if the original inspiration did. Mm -hmm. I think uh, just having so many musical dreams more and more and starting to gather a few stories and meeting artists who dreamt like that and and so many more now that I'm including in uh, some new editions that I just said, wow, this is a story that hadn't been told. And then I kind of locked in with, and this is unobvious, and I don't really say this, I don't think I've shared this publicly before, but I started to realize, oh, I love getting empowering messages, inspirational stuff, maybe entertaining stories out to people. Who would be the best people to do this? Well, the singers, the, the storytellers of old, you know, in older indigenous traditions, but in our case, the, the singers or maybe the talk show hosts, but somebody who has a public voice. So that's a perfect marriage. If we can talk about dreams and music, we'll get the singers all inspired by their dreams, and maybe we'll empower other people to get connected with their their muse, their intuition, their music. And uh, I think that was in the mix there a little bit too. Talk a little bit about some of the um, the, the stories that you share. Some of the artists we we mentioned Paul McCartney already, um, but but talk about some of these that that really connected with you and that you found to be uh, exp- especially interesting. Wow, thanks. Uh, well, some some of the artists' stories that go big and that are like on the cover aren't the ones that I'm most connected with, but I realize they're pretty big. I'll start with one that's uh, pretty big, and then I'll go to maybe my most interesting. Okay. Uh, I I really liked uh, Bono's story, the U2 lead singer. I think most people are aware of where's the yep. glasses that help with his eyes there. Yep. He uh, actually dreams a lot of collaborate. He dreams music, I think, and some of their... Uh, creative stuff, but he dreams collaborations. So one of the times he was actually, I guess, half awake, half dreaming, but let's say a liminal state where some inner perceptions were coming through, and he woke up with this song before a performance at Wembley Arena in UK, uh, Mystery Girl, She's a Mystery to Me, sort of started singing and goes, that sounds pretty Orbisonic, you know, Roy Orbison, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> so forgive the bad pun there. <laughs> And he said, I think uh, there must that's on the album, because he had Blue Velvet playing a little bit uh, in the background and Before Sleep, so we went and looked on the album. Blue Velvet, the soundtrack uh, for Blue Velvet, the movie by David Lynch, who's also a big dreamer. And he saw there was an Orbison song, In Dreams, which actually was dream-inspired for Roy Orbison. That's a whole other story. But there was no mystery girl or anything like that. And he goes, hmm, with that Irish accent, maybe I've just dreamt it myself. So I uh, just created a song here. So he started writing it out, and even at the practice with the guys, uh, the stage sound check, he started thinking of fun. He goes, hey, does this sound like Orbison, guys? And uh, they said, yeah, that's a good one. You should work on it then. But, you know, they had their performance. It went great. And I would think he'd be tired after, like, a night. He was still so into that song that he just kept working on it in the dressing room after the show, you know, I guess after the encore. And then there's this knock at the door. And the security guard says, uh, Mr. Bono, and then you too, the edge, and everybody. There's a, there's a certain Roy Orbison and his wife here to see. <laughs> and they almost like flipped their wig. And the guy said, Ah, you're pulling our leg, man. You're pulling our crank. He goes, Guys, I didn't even know. He, I don't know the man. I didn't know he's in line. I certainly had no idea he was at our show. So he comes in, you know, and says, Hey, guys, really liked the concert, you know, in a soft kind of way. Really liked it. Not sure why. And then he says, The second thing out of his mouth, you have a song for me? Wow. <laughs> like, 
so intuitively or whatever, but Bono says, I suppose I do. And he ended up producing the song on Bono, and Bono ended up producing the song on Orbison's last album with The Edge. And uh, just recently, that song actually was the, one of the key theme soundtracks for the movie Aquaman when he meets the girl. Oh, wow. The mystery. And so it had this very interesting alchemy, not just a collaboration with uh, the guy who the Beatles opened for, Roy Orbison. But uh, Bono also dreamt a collaboration with uh, Bob Dylan the same kind of way. So pretty magical dreamer of collaboration. Before, uh, so that's a pop story that's kind of got a neat album. Yeah, and bef- you like that one? Yeah, I love that. But before we go to the next one, I actually want to uh, ask you about premonition dreams because it sounds like that dream that Bono had was a, not only a creative dream and an inspirational dream, but it had a bit of premonition attached to it too. Yeah. And in sort of normal waking language, we use these different words. You know, like, let's say I'm giving a, an analogy example here. We use blue, green, red, but they're all light, right? Yeah. Different angles right. uh, or different split-ups of some of the same waves with slightly different frequency, maybe. Uh, so I would like to put forth that premonition, clairvoyance, and telepathy are actually different variations or different angles, perspectives on the same inner perception. So, yeah, that's what he was using somehow on the inner levels. Uh, if you want, we can get into how those things are tied together, but it's mostly we have to get free of time because just think about it. Clairvoyance later on is something you find out, oh, at a distance I was able to remote view this and this. Or in this case, maybe I telepathically tuned in to Roy Orbison was around and his daughter asked him, hey, you want to come to this concert? And he said yes, and, and so and so. Or maybe he just had a premonition that there would be a really bright future working with one of your superheroes. If you dream a tune the day before the guy comes to your dressing room, even though you don't know he will. <laughs> Or some other variation. Who knows? I'm right. just giving you my take. Right. It's, it, it, let's get into, maybe we'll talk about premonitions uh, after you tell us another story here. You said the the U2 one, obviously, is uh, an art, a group, an artist that um, most people are familiar, familiar with. But you said uh, your uh, maybe favorite or your the ones that you're more interested in are a little more obscure? Uh, well, one of them super obscure. I'll start with uh, one that, uh, because it's got such a huge lesson in it. Uh, and so I kind of highlighted it, actually included it in the front of the book there. Uh, and people want to check it out at dreamsbehindthemusic.com so they can get it directly. But uh, it was Hector Berlioz. And uh, not too many people even know he the, was a classical The composer, composer, sure. Yeah, Berlioz. But, yeah. Oh, you know him. Oh, of okay, course great. I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I actually was a music uh, theory major in, in college, too. So Okay. Well, some of, so you probably like all the classical chapter, all the, yeah. the Ger- Germans and the Europeans are. Uh, so anyway, so Berlioz was there, and he woke up with uh, this super-duper beautiful melody, you know, and then he sort of woke up with it and goes, wow, that's the most gorgeous thing. I should start writing it, and he thought about it. And then he thought about, you know what? If I start writing that, it's going to take this amount of time and this amount of money to get, because back then they didn't have computers, to get all these copyists to copy it, and then we're going to have to hire the musicians, and then I'm going to have to set up a... St- he started thinking of all the real... And he goes, that means it's going to take money for six months away from my wife, who's ailing, uh, his health is ailing. And so he had really good reasons, but he kind of lied in bed and steeled himself and goes, I'm not getting up and I'm not writing that. And the next day, the same super beautiful sound came, and it just so moved him. He was crying. It was like super gorgeous. Wow. And then he remembered so much work, and he just stayed. And it never came again. But in his memoirs, I guess near his deathbed, he said, well, you know, this super beautiful thing came, and I never acted on it. And it turns out the next seven years, uh, he got a lot more public and made a bit more of a hit. But imagine 
uh, he would be like a household Mozart kind of name, perhaps, if he really brought through the big one. So that's a little bit of a message there. Let's not, uh, you know, let let God play through if he wants to bring or if she wants to bring through some magic or if our subconscious has a real big winner that the collective unconscious is calling for, like the James Cameron dream of Avatar. Uh, maybe it's in our interest to bring it through, not just our financial or success interest, but in our interest of really serving, inspiring, entertaining a lot of people. So I really like that one. This one is called Zen Trumpet. Talk, talk to us about that piece. Um, again, it's, it came to you in a dream. Uh, yeah, that came directly. Pretty, I'd say, 98% exactly as I heard it with that feeling, that reverb, and that sound of sort of a little, slightly muted trumpet there, whatever they call it, where you stick the little thing in the front. Uh, I can't tell you what it is or why it is. I can just tell you that it had this certain interesting, longing, melancholy uh, there's brain research, and I write about it there in the book, that uh, music and feeling are really tied together. So this might have, you know, I'm a bit of a recovering thinkaholic. I have a degree in physics and often <laughs> get stuck in my, my head here. So that uh, I think this was starting to help to connect me with some sadness at the time, you know, kind of the, the trumpet over the, the morning uh, where the battle has just happened, or who knows what the associations are. Uh, do you have any associations when you hear it? Um, I think you've described it pretty well. I mean, I did get a, I did get a sense of like a ref, like reflection, like, um, you know, you described it as standing over the battlefield the next day or whatever it happens to be, but kind of that reflective moment. But are these pieces you, you sent me these clips, um, and they're short. Are they parts of bigger pieces that you ultimately composed? Uh, great question. Some are, some aren't. I think, uh, maybe the second break you played just coming back from break. You played Voices? Yeah. Oh, that's a really, really rich one. Uh, I'm going to play that again yeah, right now. As long again. You're going to talk. I'm going to play it right now. 15 seconds. Yep. Gives me shivers. Yeah, it's it, it, it's beautiful, and the, and it's what it's, it's ten, like the ten coral, seconds long. I don't know, angel choir or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, I don't want to add too many words to it. I can just tell you that technically, as a sound engineer producer here, that it's thirty-eight versions of me singing in different. I guess. Uh, oh editors. wow! Uh, I sort of just overdubbed or laid laid over top. But I, I got a whole download as I was starting to produce it, and then later what it might be, what it might want. Because I usually encourage people and my students in classes and things, hey, don't just ask what the dream means. That's a good question, but it's, in my view, a little outdated, and it's only in the head. What does the dream want? That's a different question, so different intuitions, different insights come. In this case, uh, this voice was kind of calling these voices, and it was right near the start of the pandemic. And then I got this other very clear inspiration, and we'll go into all the details, but to create a whole film that's now been accepted at some film festivals. Uh, and that was one of the key clips, which I think is starting to bring together some of the different voices out there in the culture across the different rainbow colors. I mean, there's all these connections across. Let's respect different cultures, different ways of thinking, different ways of handling the pandemic, different voices in Black Lives Matter, you know, different Me Too voices, male, female. 
let's kind of get all the colors of the emotional spectrum and have all the voices sing because the choir that we can all create together is so much richer and who knows what other associations, but it's all packed into like this little 15 second soundbite that I just said, you know what? You don't have to understand or explain it. Just play it. What happens if you're uh, not a musician, you have a dream or a beautiful melody or, or a, a song idea comes to you. Maybe it's just lyrics or something like that, but you aren't trained to be able to uh, in any way, either recorded by voice or recorded by instrument or even note, note it, you know, notate it. Uh, you have any suggestions for something like that? Yeah, and I do get some of those. You'd be surprised. You think, oh, if they're not a musician, they might not. No, everybody has music hard. They certainly have feelings, which are pretty close to music. They certainly have intuition, which is very close. So some people who are really not musical or don't play at all, they'll dream music. Sometimes it's just an intuitive guidance. I say really watch closely the lyrics if it's a song that you know, or even if it isn't. Or if it's more just instrumental, go into the feeling. And if it feels like it's got a lot of charisma, sort of it could serve or inspire or maybe entertain other people, find a, find a friend who is a musician. Find a composer or somebody like that because it might be calling you to collaborate creatively, which is a really beautiful gift in many people's lives and certainly in mine. So it might be calling for a certain kind of action. And then if it just feels like a beautiful morning, say goodbye. Okay, if it comes a second time, remember Hector Berlioz. It might be calling for more than just, uh, oh, that was fun. Yeah. Um, you know, a songwriting trick uh, for most people, and now that we all have these uh, really, really capable devices in our pockets or hands all the time, which is our smartphones, they can not just record video and pictures, and but they can do a great job recording audio, is, um, you know, maybe you just you grab your phone and you just hum what you heard into the in recording until you can figure out what it is and what you want to do with it. I mean, that's what I do when I get song ideas. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Just like Jennifer Lopez uh, and Mark Antony, who who got her first biggest Spanish language hit directly like that. They just sung it. Actually, at that time, they sung it into their uh, voice machine, you know, the answering machine. Answering machine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they, they kind of kept it that way. And usually most people have enough kind of musical connection, let's say not even a sense, to be able to reproduce to some degree or talk about what they just heard or, or maybe sing it even. And that's usually enough of a seed for an artist to start picking up on it, especially if you get right. the lyrics. right. Right. Um, because I'm such a Beatles fan, we talked about Paul McCartney. I know you also talk about John Lennon. Tell us about John Lennon and how dreams may inspire have inspired him, uh, other than the song Number Nine Dream, which is a fairly popular song. Uh, yeah, right. Number Nine Dream is a fun one. First of all, uh, number nine, the actual numerical number, mm -hmm. is strongly tied with dreaming. So. Did John intuitively know? Who knows? He might have actually... Is that the actual song? Is that the actual song that you talk about, uh, Greg? I'm not with sure him? if that's why he called it. Uh, I talk about that one and some others. Okay. Uh, a little bit of a side note. We can segue into that after. But John, John actually really clearly, in my view, pre-dreamt his own death yeah. the year before. I've heard that. His murder. That's a, a sad, sadder story. But the dream number nine came in a dream. And here's another little interesting fact. Uh, it actually it became Pousse Pousse and some lyrics and an interesting sound. And mm -hmm. <laughs> he actually uh, recorded it. It hit number nine as its highest point on the UK charts. Oh, wow. It was a weird synchro for that song. And uh, it's strongly connected with, uh, for me, I'm very strongly connected with the number nine because uh, on 999, numerologically, which was uh, September 9th, 2007, I started a big world tour uh, speaking all about dreams. Uh, actually, in the two cities, the home of Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud, were the two first stops on the tour on 999. There I was 
sort of bringing out uh, the story and message and empowerment around dreams. So that nine itself, even just the title, has some interesting segue. But the music came uh, directly, the chorus came from John's dream. Um, you know, just speaking about the number nine, this isn't necessarily directly uh, related to dreams, but of course on the Beatles' White Album, John had a quote-unquote song. Some people don't think it's a song, but uh, he clearly did. Uh, Revolution number nine, which clearly in the in the collection of what some people might say is a lot of noise, you hear a repeated number nine, number nine, number I mean, number nine. So obviously that was very important to John. Yeah, it could have been no in German. Who knows? Nine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's just my listener interpretation. The artist says you interpret whatever you want. But I will mention uh, if people like little sort of interesting fun facts, because the Beatles always had all kinds of hidden things all yeah, over, like yeah. Sgt. Pepper's album. And, and, you know, they make intrigue, cool kind of press stories. Uh, if you check the, on Amazon, the date for my book is actually September 9, 2016, which was exactly nine years after, the, or I think it was nine years after, the September 7th, 2016. Eleven years. Yeah, nine years after. Yeah. And these things only happen every nine years. So wow. my book uh, was published on 999 also, numerologically. Wow. Talk a little bit more about premonitions and dreams or precognitive dreams. Are they common? Do people have those often? Because we, I hear a lot of claims that it happens. I'm not so sure I've ever had one. Oh, premonitions. Well, I would say any creative dream is a premonition. Okay. Here's a potential future. Here's a song you could create. Here's an artwork. It'll feel good if you create this, usually. Uh, sometimes it's healing, like Cameron's Nightmare that inspired Terminator. You just got to get these feelings outside of you, and they will speak to a lot of people to face their terrors and fears. But uh, it's, it's something like calling us to a future, so I would say in a way it's a premonition. There's a story of Charlie Wilson there in the book, a uh, pretty well-known sort of jazz blues, I think, artist. Uh, and he had, uh, his wife actually, Mahin, had a dream very clear, and it shows the link there. She said, if, uh, if you write this song and if you create these lyrics, I guess them together, because she dreamt it. But Charlie, if you write this and we produce it, it'll actually get a Grammy nomination, not even a win. It was a very specific you know, and what's the chance of them just knowing that exact thing yeah. right then? But they did it, and that's exactly what happened. So I would say that was a premonition. But yes, it was also a super creative dream. But to answer your first part of your question, uh, on research and interviews and research I've studied and also done, actually one out of three people will say they've accurately dreamt something that came true later in their life. Uh, and if you probe a little bit, two out of three people will say it, and then they come up. Depends on their belief system and a little bit of remembering because they usually toss it out. And then if I do a little more stringent, well, let's say, quote-unquote, scientific, maybe a little pseudo-scientific, but if we say a dream had to be told or written down or yeah. shown to mm-hmm. someone before the event, and it had to be a pretty darn rare event, you know, John Lennon dreaming his murder, who, and he shared it with a bunch of people, you know, et cetera, or another really sad one, Leonard Skinner, actually, backup singer, exactly dreamt of their plane crash and how it would happen and everything. And she didn't go on the plane, and others did. And yeah. That was, but so these things can can be really important, and and usually the link is when it's a strongly important emotional event to us, or maybe to many people, we'll tune into it ahead. So if it's very specific, one out of twelve people has actually had fairly verifiable precognitive dreams. One out of twelve. It's just that we're not talking about it too often. 
Um, I just want to make sure I understand this. So when you when you take this in the most scientific approach possible, where people have to actually have recorded in some fashion, whether it's wrote wrote it down or told the story to somebody, and then it happened, and it had to be somewhat of a, a rare event or an unpredictable event, that's the one out of 12. Yeah, right. That's Not impressive. like the dog came home. Well, probably right, right, the dog was going right, to come home. Exactly, right, right. Yeah. Um, we're going to run out of time here quickly. Uh, I want to um, remind people that the website is the dreams behind the music or not the dreams. It's dreams behind the music.com. Um, where can people get the book, Greg? Uh, well, they can go directly to that website and uh, they can read about it. If they want to check it out a little more, they can just hop right on amazon.com. And then if people like some of what you heard tonight, certainly check out uh, beyond reality more here because JV and the, the team has an excellent show and lots of other amazing guests, I'm sure. But they could also check out uh, some of my other work. I lead teleclasses, do private trainings, uh, consult for films, uh, even simple films sometimes on Internet, YouTube. Uh, so, But I go into the archetypal symbolism that will reach lots of viewers, listeners, audience. Uh, and then the teleclasses are a way to get deeper and really start some really powerful transformation on a fun team journey. So that's at applieddreaming.com. With two D's in the middle, AppliedDreaming.com. And uh, if people want to go deeper, that's a fun way that uh, I've been, actually had the really good fortune to do for well over a decade. And it's getting better and better, let's say. It's uh, after midnight here on the East Coast. Many people after the program will be going to bed. And they might be thinking about this. Do you have any recommendations for people to help guide their dreams, maybe uh, encourage a certain type of dream, or uh, better understand their dreams uh, when they wake up tomorrow? Any advice? The short answer or the long answer? You can give me the long answer. We've got a minute and a half. Oh, okay. I'll give both. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, be super clear on your ideals in life. What are your values? What's really important to you, That who you want to be and what you want to bring? Because all your dreams will act like kind of a, a DPS. I call it like a GPS, but inside us, a dream positioning system. It's sort of like programming in the zip code to our GPS. It'll show us what turns to take and how to get there. Well, if we program our values and intentions like that for our best life, our dreams will naturally give us all kinds of insight and guidance like it did for the Beatles or Bono or whoever. That's the biggest tip I can give tonight. And then the the short form is I wish everybody happy nightmares. It probably requires (laughs) you to go lucid. Happy nightmares. Uh, I like that advice. Um, Craig, once again, oh, uh, let's give both of those websites out for people. Uh, I hope uh, if you can hear me. Uh, oh, we lost. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And uh, I'm really grateful to have a chance to, to share about some of the things I'm passionate about. Okay. Uh, again, it's applieddreaming.com. There, make sure you get the two Ds. And there's also dreamsbehindthemusic.com uh, because we lost him again. Craig was telling me during uh, one of those when we brought him back that something about his headset has a 20 minute limit on it. So it keeps disconnecting him. I'm not really sure why i've never heard of such a thing but he said it's new and he's just trying to figure it out so he apologizes but it's been a great discussion thank you craig i don't know if you can hear me now but uh thank you again two websites for you to visit for craig's work applied and also dreams behind the music 
Com. That is, of course, the name and the title of the book that we're talking about tonight. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.